Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher, the bountiful. I'm Scott <laughs> Galloway. Happy Thanksgiving, Kara. Happy Thanksgiving. How's it going? You know, it's going. Um, yeah. This, I think there's a weird Thanksgiving for everybody or a weird yeah. holiday for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got yelled at by one lady online because I'm not having my mom down. We were, you know, we're kidding about it. We're not bringing my mom down, obviously, because uh, it's uh, as the news started to mount about everything, we decided to let her stay away from us and stay by herself, although she's been very quarantined. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, she was grumpy about that. Um, but it's going to be a very tiny little nothing. No, no family gatherings. It's weird. Everyone, it, there's all these weird headlines like that one, the Denver mayor flew, which I can't, flying is crazy as far as I'm concerned. Um, otherwise, I know a lot of people did it, and I'm trying not to judge people to do that, but tons of, he flew after telling people not to fly. Um, and then another mayor did something. Anyway, it's just a really well, interesting there's time. Gate. What? But by the, there's Newsom Gate. What? There's Newsom Gate. Newsom Gate. He went to a dinner. That was a bad idea. That was a bad idea on his part. He's got, it's, it's an interesting time. Anyway, uh, it, it'd be nice. Just, it'll be, it's weird. It's weird. I, it's interesting to think about what Thanksgiving is, right? Of course, there's all the controversy around Thanksgiving itself. Um, but it's a, it's, oh, it's Jesus, they're going after Thanksgiving now? Yes. That's yes, up for yes, grabs? Yes. No, it's not what I mean there now. It's been like, been debated about with indigenous people and stuff like that. It's good to debate yeah. these things, Scott. Don't you be know, like an old white guy who's like, oh, I can't believe we I am the old white guy. <laughs> I <laughs> well, am you, the, but you know something? I think it's and fine you should... to debate these things and discuss our origins, all okay, our origins. Okay, okay, okay. Anyways, L.A. Law meets NPR. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I know how to make Lucky happier, though. Call what? Lucky today, Curtis and me, and say, you know, no, he's mad. Scott used to be addicted to Thanksgiving leftovers. Yeah. But then he quit cold turkey. Call her oh. and tell her that. Make her day. She's going to be happy about that. Make her day. <laughs> she's not going to be Dad jokes on Thanksgiving, uh, absolutely. She has absolutely. been tested a lot. She does not have COVID. She's been, but I know, like, she's been tested a lot. We, we test her quite a bit. And then my son is, is still in the basement. It's like Parasite. Our, our home is like Parasite. We have this separate basement that has a door and a back door. It'd be like Parasite if they were rich white people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, just like Parasite. Oh, my God. We're trying oh, yeah. our best. It's, we're it's testing. Like, we're trying It's our not best. upstairs, downstairs You hate there. that we're trying it's, our best. It's upstairs, downstairs, fully plush, carpeted basement it's with really a plasma. Not that nice That's what it is. It's, it's not, not upstairs, that, downstairs. It's not a nice it's a Swisher family. It's not that kind of basement. That's your house, Scott Galloway. Yeah, my yeah, house I is don't just have a, a basement. kind of a moldy smelling basement. He's like, <laughs> he's like, what am I going to do down here? I'm like, just open the door and I'll come near the door and say hi to you. Anyway, he's doing really well. He's staying, you know, for a while, as I told you. But more importantly, what did the cannibalistic teddy bear eat for Thanksgiving? Oh, no. Here we go. All right. Stuffing. Stuffing, Kara. That's a good one. That's good I'm going to use that humor. one. Where did you get these? Like that's in the dad book of bad humor. jokes? That's where I get everything from the internet. That's all I do all day is look well, for things on the internet. Well, speaking of the internet, Amazon Web Services had an outage uh, this week. The consequences were far-reaching. Scott, you know, again, we depend on Amazon. So true, isn't it? It's, and I know he's not your favorite and he's not my favorite on CNN, but um, Rick Santorum, uh, Senator oh. Santorum, had, I thought, a really interesting take well, yeah. one of his interesting takes, by the way, I don't know, you probably weren't like this, but when you're uh, an eight or a 10 year old boy and you always roll in a posse, it's not mm-hmm. like today where we have everything programmed. I used to go six, seven hours a time mm-hmm. every day with nothing to do and no supervision. And so ultimately we would kind of get in these Lord of the Flies group and we would decide who was who was the one we were going to pick on and mock all day long uh, yeah. as kids, as as normal kids do. Yeah. Anyways, it's clearly... I'm curious uh, to see where this is going. But okay. Well, Rick Santorum on CNN, they're like, okay, he's the kid we're going to pick on no, all show. He's, oh, come on. He's well oh paid <laughs> and he's, design, he's designed to be an asshole. That's his yeah, role that's on the point. show. Yeah, that's my point. That's his, his character. Role. He says something and, by the and way, then they he all just an get asshole. all over. Let, let me just say, I have the bones to pick with Rick Santorum around gay families. I'm not going into oh, it I don't, with you. I don't doubt his views are totally... No, no, he literally tried to get gay families not able to adopt children. It was just, he's he's an shall never... Never be that, forgiven that by the Switcher well. family. That, that doesn't age well. Yeah. Anyways, but he did say something about the elections. He said that one of the most interesting things about the election, or the best things about elections, is we have 50 different processes, infrastructures, protocols. Every state has their own method. Yeah. And you immediately think as a tech guy, you immediately go, well, that makes no sense. It should be all on one Android device yeah. and phone. <laughs> and true. then he said something that reminded me uh, uh, that the difference between robust and fragile, when you have 50 different systems, no one can hack 
your entire elections, unless you're Facebook, of course, and you hack the media. Right. It's influencing the elections. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And yeah. what this shows, I mean, do you realize, okay, supposedly AWS is divided into 23 different regions. Mm-hmm. And this was just one of the regions that went down. And just as one region went down, shut dark, one password, Acorns, Adobe Spark, Anchor, Autodesk, Capital Gazette, Coinbase, DataCamp, GetAround, Glassdoor, yeah. Flickr, iRobot, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Pocket Radio Lab, Roku, RSS Podcasting, Tampa Bay Times, Vonage, the Washington Post. Quite a lot of people. Uh, this is Come this from. is one of their 23 regions going down. Shipped yeah. went down. Yeah. And you think about just how incredibly, I mean, it's it's a, it's a lesson where there is a there is a reason we have, and this for me, ALC. everything goes back to goes back to antitrust. Yeah, more players that aren't competing, they aren't coordinating, they aren't blitz scaling like all tech wants, all tech CEOs want. That's Reed Hoffman. They they make more robust ecosystems, and that is if mm-hmm. something goes wrong with one, the entire nation doesn't get shut down. Well, it is interesting. Um, I have a very tough column about Amazon tomorrow, which I'm sure I would You're like tough. to read. It was it is. You're, I think You're it tough. is. I think you'll be proud of me. Um, yeah, I'm most proud. But of you. although you keep recommending the stock, I mean, it's nothing to do with the stock. But um, uh, I agree. I think it's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of competitors in this area, but their, their influence over our world, whether it's commerce or or web services or et cetera, you know, or not, not as much entertainment. There's lots of choices there. Uh, but anyway, it's a real, it's a real, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. I think people know. Remember when AOL shut down for that 16 hour thing? You've got mail. Gosh, AOL. Remember Do you remember that? when it shut down? It was like a national emergency because everybody went crazy. It was like 19 hour shutdown. Hmm. I was with Steve Case when it started and he was well, like, I bet oh. you were with Steve Case. You I was. Little and saucy he goes, he goes, because I, I was working a book and he goes, it's no big deal. And I go, oh no, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And because everybody wasn't able, everyone was on AOL, which was interesting. Uh, and it was, it was literally a national crisis caused all kinds of problems for him at that time. The other interesting story in tech is Wall Street Journal is reporting that Salesforce uh, is looking uh, to buy Slack. What do you make of this? I, I don't I know. I don't know. I gotta, I gotta make some calls. Um, I have not made calls, but, uh, you know, a lot of people have tried to buy Slack, Microsoft, Google, right. there's others. People have been sniffing around Slack for a while. I, you know, they've ha- always had an uphill battle to try to beat the big guys. Um, yeah. uh, and I think Salesforce has long been interested in it. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's been a lot of Slack buying rumors and then they don't happen. And maybe now's the time. I've always thought they should be bought, but what do you but think? This one was clearly uh, both probably yeah. Salesforce leaked this to yeah. see how their stock would respond. And their stock was down 5%. Slack was up 30%. Slack is one of the few uh, uh, SaaS companies or in that category that hasn't had a pandemic boost. They haven't scaled. No. They haven't, their business hasn't gone crazy. Well, they didn't have video, right? They didn't have That's to right. zoom They in. don't have video. Um, they say this will put Salesforce directly squarely in competition with Microsoft, which I yeah. thought was interesting. The yeah. Microsoft has productivity tools, and they'll have now have productivity and collaboration tools, and they'll start going at each other. Well, Microsoft really did want to buy, I think it was Peggy Johnson, she's not there anymore, really wanted to buy Slack early on. And then Google was looking, I, there was a whole bunch, and I think Salesforce was in there too. There was a whole, a couple of years ago, there was a big who's going to buy Salesforce thing, and then the, the founder uh, did not want to. He's a really... Um, uh, interesting entrepreneur, and he he did not want to, and the company did not want to, and it was growing. But I can't imagine how difficult it is to scale that thing, um, and it it fits it dovetails so nicely into so many companies. Um, and as much you know, Stuart, but- the guy who founded Stuart Butterfield, he also founded uh, Flickr with his uh, his ex wife, um, and and they sold that, and then he's. He sold something else. You know, he's just he's he wanted to really run this. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't hmm. know. You know, just a quick note, you got me thinking. I know you wrote a book on AOL, and mm-hmm. I was thinking about, I kind of came a professional age in the 90s with AOL. I found AOL to be the absolute worst partner I've ever dealt with. <laughs> That's what many people thought. They yeah. were, you know, I started or was one of the co-founders of Red Envelope, another company called Aardvark, a pet supplies company. And basically, if you think of Amazon has 30% share. Right, or you think of companies that are real, known for being really difficult to deal with. Um, AOL at one point, if you wanted to sell anything on the internet, mm-hmm. yep. you had to sell it on AOL's marketplace. And one of the guy who ran AOL Marketplace or co-ran it ended up becoming one of my closest friends. But who was that? It Mark, was Mark Walsh. No, a guy named Greg Shove. Okay. Oh yeah, now yeah. The, now mm-hmm. the CEO of Section Four, but um, and godfather to his daughter. Anyways, um, 
wonderful guy. Canadian. Canadian, mm-hmm. that says it all. Um, okay. So, but it was dealing with the level of arrogance, the level of uh, what I'll call monopoly abuse. People don't realize how powerful AOL was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was just because everybody thought if you put your credit card on the internet, you know, Ukrainian crime gangs would steal it. So mm-hmm. everyone thought you had to be in a safe, closed environment of you've got mail, you know, mm-hmm. this. It's just, it was incredible. It's sort of an argument. It kind of flies in the face of my whole break them up thing because things tend to fall naturally or that's yeah. the argument we would make. AOL is like the case study of what happens when a monopoly behaves that way and it doesn't work out. Well, I, you know, they were less than monopoly than the only game in town and then everyone else caught up. I think, you know what I mean? Like it, what, there was no barrier to entry for a lot of people. So I think that's really what happened with it. It was the only one around with a, with a consumer product that had it but you're right you're you're 100 percent right steve k is smart he smart sold guy. that company for 20 times more than it was worth he certainly did uh, he I mean, certainly he did, did. He, he's a, he you know he worked for pizza hut i don't know if you know that steve did. he also yep. I, i've i've actually i met him through you the book party you did he yes. strikes me as a very thoughtful decent yes i like steve i don't want i hope he's not listening because i like he thinks i hate him, but i want him to know you know, we have this thing where we have this thing. We have a thing like you and I, we have a thing. He has, he and I really have a thing. Like we always insult each other. His wife, on the other hand, is wonderful. Gene Case. Uh, Steve is also, Steve's brilliant. And so so are a lot of these. Ted Leonsis has done really well. Um, who was there? the Wizards, right? He owns, he's, he owns a lot of stuff. A lot he of owns all the sports, sports teams. teams. In any case, um, uh, there, it's an interesting time. All right, Scott, we're going to yeah. get on to big stories. Big okay. stories here on this. Thanks. I'm spending Thanksgiving with Scott Galloway from a distance. It kind of says everything about 2020, don't you? Yeah, no, it says here. everything about our life, and it's not good. It's not <laughs> it's good. Not good. It's not good. It's not all a right. good reflection. What ser- the thing that should be running through your mind right now is what series of bad decisions led me to here right now? <laughs> In any case, Let's get on to big stories. Big stories. For the second straight week, unemployment claims are jumping. IBM is the latest company to announce it's letting go of 10,000 jobs in Europe, which brings me to, Scott. Yeah. Your newest book is being sold at Social Distance Today. It's called Post-Corona. I've got a copy right here. It's Thank you. It, it, right here, post-corona, it's a scary-looking book. You can see yeah. it. Nobody else can. It's orange. Yeah, it's it very, orange. It's, it's, it's a slim little book. It's good. It's like one of your books. So tell me about it. We're going to talk about that. Um, it's called Post-Corona, From Crisis to Opportunity. Of course, you have to leave, leave them on a high note, I'm assuming. There you go. Well, I'm so cheery. <laughs> yes. By the way, your publisher, Penguin Random House, bought Simon & Schuster, which is my publisher this week. I don't even yeah. know what that means in any way whatsoever. Um, so let the, sum it up. Talk about, we, th- I, I was reading through it. I just, I literally mm-hmm. just got it last night. It arrived yeah, finally. Right, here we go. More uh, reasons why you don't engage in my relationship. Going, don't invest in our relationship. But anyways, go ahead. Talk to me about the overall thing. Cause it literally reads like the last 20 episodes of the show, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm not, uh, <laughs> we, we are sort of the show. And by the way, I, the way I produced the book was I printed out, um, all of my blog posts, mm-hmm. printed out all the transcripts from this show. And then found the common themes, and there were three common themes, uh, the markets, education, and society. Right. And then tried to bucket them and write uh, into prose and then go through and edit the whole thing. And I worked with Maria Petrova and Jason Stavers and Mil Severi, mm-hmm. a bunch of smart people on my team and my agent, Jim Levine, and tried to do this Is this a like an way. Oscar thank you thing? But go ahead, keep going. <laughs> yes, thank you. At number 27 in behavioral sciences on Amazon. Um, no, but it was uh, 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 the... Let me start. Let me, if I can, if I, if I try to distill it down to two things for me, it's that everyone wants to talk about what, what people would take away or what they would learn. Anyway, so I think there's two kind of call signs. And the first is capitalism or what I hope we embrace. And that Mm -hmm. is uh, a lot of young people are turned off of capitalism. But I think what we've been experiencing through this pandemic and the last few years is not capitalism. It's rugged individualism called capitalism on the way up to justify taking more of the gains than we should. Mm-hmm. And then cronyism and socialism on the way down, which is cronyism. Oh. And I would, I think the capitalism, the key to capitalism and successful, successful applications of capitalism are that we have what I would call a hardcore, full body, violent ecosystem around corporations and business. Mm-hmm. And that we let businesses fail. We let them go at it. We let them go at, we, we let them make a shit ton of money if they're better than the other one. We let people get fired. Right. We let people get laid off. And then we use that violence between IBM and mainframe computers or, 
or we let Sun Microsystems go out of business, this incredible competition in the fur flies create tremendous prosperity such that we can be more empathetic and loving to seniors and fund Social Security and take senior poverty from 38% to 11%. Mm -hmm. And what I think the problem with this pandemic and what's happened over the last 10 or 20 years because of idolatry of innovators and corporations basically overrunning government institutions that have been defunded. So say that again, idolatry of... This is something you talk about a lot. We personify companies. We've flipped the model here. Uh, we've decided that we need to be empathetic and loving towards corporations and very harsh and use words like meritocratic for individuals. I think we have totally flipped capitalism upside down and that capitalism, we need to recognize it's not a natural state. It's not an organic state. It doesn't mm -hmm. survive on its own. And unless it sits on a, a bed of empathy, recognizing a lot of people can't compete in a full body contact um, uh, corporate America, it just doesn't work. And I think mm -hmm. it's been collapsing on itself. And then the la and then kind of the second big theme is this notion of camaraderie. Unless we find a way, I don't know if there's churches or national service, uh, I, it used to be through crisis, but this crisis seems to be dividing, it, uh, dividing us, not uniting us. We're mm -hmm. gonna have to figure out a way to express more camaraderie towards our old allies. I think the greatest damage over the last four years is the fraying of the greatest relationship in history, the North Atlantic Treaty. Mm -hmm. I think we need to, um, whether it's approaching China, whether it's figuring out best practices around handle, how to handle a pandemic, we need to absolutely develop greater sense of camaraderie with our allies again. And also um, amongst each other. I just, I, I think it's the biggest- It's interesting because today, Joe Biden gave a speech or yesterday it was pretty like that, just what you're talking about, you know, and it, several articles, it was really interesting. It was like, is he weak? you know, for trying to get along. Like he was, that, that's right. the question when he was, I thought it was like, this is leadership, but immediately it was, is he weak? Well, we've, I think there's a, a certain level of toxic masculinity that's been injected into our politics and mm -hmm. how we want to be, uh, that are reflected in our spending priorities. Right. We like big macho companies and we'll give them money. Whereas an individual who's food insecure has screwed up and is weak. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level of, um, and that we can go it alone and we don't need, we're so much bigger and better than Britain. We don't need their intelligence. We don't need to, it's, 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 it's this kind is of. Is this a new thing or is it just taken to extreme? Because this, these are, you know, this rugged individualism, you know, I got mine Jack kind of idea is, is, is not new, but what's happened to it? Because it really does feel like it's gone, you know, that there, that's always been in our culture for sure. I think World War II was this fantastic lesson on cooperation. And that is, if, if the British, the Russians, and the Americans could come together to arrest tyranny, um, that, that I think that taught us the importance of alliances. And we, we decided to invest a massive amount of money in our, in our enemies from last month, right? We turned around and said, all right, we're going to rebuild you. And I think that that lasted a long time. And a lot of our leaders served in the same uniform. They didn't think about red or blue. They thought mm -hmm. about khaki or the United States. And I think over the last 20 or 30 years, people see they, they don't, they have trouble attributing global cooperation, global trade and these treaties to anything in their, in their life. If there's one mm -hmm. thing we failed to do in a liberal democracy is demonstrate to people that they have gained from global trade. And a lot of that is because we've decided to let the spoils of global trade go to the kind of information age workers as opposed to letting it trickle down and all people see is their factories getting closed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something you can attribute to something pretty easily, but they don't see that every day, you know, their prices have stayed lower, right? Or right. that there's more opportunity or more shareholder growth. Right, I think we've, right. They're we've not failed those there. Things. Those are hard to make, yeah. given how complex it is. So who is the book for? And I want to go through some specific things in it. Who, who is it for from your perspective? And what, what, uh, what group do you think has the biggest opportunities during these times. I write pretty much everything, at least from a business, if I'm a, a young man or woman trying to figure out what I do with my most precious capital, and that's my human capital. Like what industries, what would be my approach to trying to create economic security for me and my family? Like I mm -hmm. want to understand, I want people to, if they read something or take my class, I want them to feel like they come out of that class or that book a little bit sharper of a weapon in terms of heading into the to the jungle of capitalism like mm -hmm. what what industries i think there are you know kind of three huge shifts in capital that that create tremendous opportunity for businesses and young people and those three are uh, in order 17 percent of gdp that represents healthcare is about to be thrown up and land in different places the novel coronavirus has 
upended regulation, consumer behavior, people are now getting tested and fighting diseases at home, the amount of money invested in, in telemedicine and remote health, there's going to be more over the next 20 months or going to last 20 years. The second is my industry, um, $750 billion in the U.S., mm-hmm. several trillion globally. Education is no longer going to be dispersed solely through university campuses. Remote learning is going to absolutely explode. And not only that, different types of certification. And then the third is uh, the, the absolute uh, incredible reallocation of capital out of what is, I think, the third or fourth largest asset class, and that is commercial real estate into what I think is the second largest asset class, and that is residential. And that sounds small, but that affects everything from AWS to grocery delivery. But if I were young to put myself in between the intersection between technology and what I'll call residential, uh, healthcare, or education are just, those are the places that I, a lot of people would say it's climate. I didn't didn't write about climate, but I Mm -hmm. think those are the areas where you're going to see just incredible stakeholder value. You talked about this this idea from the best-selling author and NYU Business School professor Scott mm-hmm. Galloway comes mm-hmm. an insightful analysis who stands to win and lose in the post-pandemic world. So you're using this as a guide for people to know what to do. How are you – and then you go over a couple of companies, which I thought was interesting, Warby mm-hmm. Parker, WeWork, and things like that. But mm-hmm. what um, – How do you feel in this post-corona time? Here we are not not focusing on the vast majority of people to focus in on those who are obscenely wealthy like Jeff Bezos or, Mm -hmm. you know, who's going to get to be a billionaire. You would think the pandemic was one of those moments of opportunity to shift that mentality. It doesn't seem like it has. We're arguing over Thanksgiving. We're still, we have, we still have the Kraken lady still going at it with her misspelled uh, legal things. We've got Mm -hmm. differences like the Supreme Court today with, um, religious gatherings and, and everything. So it feels like, and everybody's saying, Biden, who's saying we need to get together and beat this thing. Everyone, there's enough people going, ah, you know, whatever, we're going to keep fighting. So ha- what, do you, what, what do you look at this post-corona when you, you talk about post-corona? Are you worried about it? Or are you like, here's the way we get out of this thing? Well, people always like to say the Chinese word for crisis is opportunity and risk. It's actually, mm-hmm. it's actually risk and a critical juncture. And right. I would argue we are just at a critical juncture, and there's a lot of comorbidities that aren't that are negative forward-looking indicators. Oh dear. Okay. Well, tell us. we we just don't we don't appear. It feels to me like even in our in our bailout packages, our fiscal priorities, it seems to me again we're very focused on taking our innovators and turning them into billionaires. We seem to have lost uh, a sense of national sacrifice, mm-hmm. uh, and also it feels as if. Um, capitalism, which needs to sit on a bed of empathy, has decided now we're going full tilt. And, and it's... Um, it does feel like that. And it's company's private power is basically uses socialism as a call sign to get bailouts. So I'm not, you know, I, the, the, the silver lining, if you will, there are a lot of hopeful things here. And the first, first and foremost is, are your kids and a younger generation looking at our generation and do they say, okay, cooperation is really important. Funding our public institutions is really important. A certain level of empathy, seeing separating people from their political ideology and having a civil conversation with them, you know, investing, investing in, in, in forward-leaning things like climate and healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then they look at America and think, okay, one in five households with children are food insecure. It's costing us trillions of dollars. Wouldn't it just be economically smart to make more forward-leaning investments? So you got to hope that we're maturing a generation of leaders that just have a different approach than us. And I, then I, do, I, I have some hope when I do talk to my kids. I have to say, like, we had uh, dinner last night. We were outside uh, in the back, and it was cold and everything. We were just dealing with it. But one of, one of the discussions at the table was was not silly things. My kids were talking about dairy subsidies. Like They're like, why do we do this? Why are we eating meat? You know, they've been mm-hmm. trying to eat less meat and talking about the, the meat footprint and everything else. Um, and they're not doing it in this sort of San Francisco-y way. It was sort of like, this doesn't make any sense for the planet. And here's why. Like, and it was really interesting. And they were, my son knew all about dairy subsidies. And he's like, why don't we shift those to say solar subsidies, which is this, you know, he had like ideas about what to do. And, and they, he's, you know, he's only 15, but he was already like thinking of innovate. It was interesting to watch. And then my other son was talking about this and this is how you do it. And this is how it was really. I was sort of happy and I, I had nothing to do with this, these ideas. I had never talked to him about them, but they sort of were sort of leaning into not creating, you know, I'm not going to eat meat. Meat sucks. It was like people like me. Here's how we do it. This is how we shift people. This is the imprint. And it was, it was nice to hear. I have to say I was sort of mm-hmm. 
pleasantly surprised that my children are actually thoughtful. It was nice. We're not, I don't think we're going to suffer from really uh, uh, interesting, unique ideas. I think the <laughs> biggest threat right now is that, uh, or one of the biggest threats is we don't, we don't separate people from ideology and we've yeah. been taught to tolerate people who don't look like us and embrace them, but we've been taught to dislike people who don't think like us. Yeah. And I just don't, it's created no middle ground for making any progress. We have to, again, decide there is a truth. I would argue the closest thing to truth is science. And mm -hmm. I think the repudiation of science is really frightening. So how do you deal with that? Like, you know, I know it sounds dumb, but when you see this, like, Sidney, whatever, Powell put together this ridiculous bullshit around elections or Donald Trump having something, like, really doing this, how do you, like, go, oh, let's try to find common ground? Because it's, it's. It's not, there's nothing, there's no common ground in discussing things with people who deny science or allege fraud without evidence, et cetera. How do you think you get to it? What you have, your last paragraph is called What We Must Do. Um, how, how do you get to that common ground from your perspective? From a, from a, is it businesses that are just going to have to do it or what? Well, I, I, look, it's, there's no silver bullet. I think it's a variety of things that create a climate of of where we share prosperity prosperity turns into progress we've had enormous prosperity over the last 30 years we haven't had a lot of progress if you look at the fact that 90 percent of the stocks are owned by white people and 80 percent of the stocks are owned by college grads uh it's just we haven't made a lot of and then the top one percent own 80 or 90 percent of the wealth you argue okay tremendous prosperity not a lot of progress but i think it's a bunch of things one i think social media um, figuring out and when we get two thirds of our news from platforms whose algorithms have figured out that mm -hmm. there's huge shareholder value in dividing us. I think, I, I don't, I don't, I think when we look back, we're going to say, wow, that was really bad. Um, uh, really bad for the nation. I think we're going to have to figure out a way to be more thoughtful to, uh, to share capitalism, capitalist prosperity, capitalism's prosperity with everybody, you right. know, whether it's redistribution. That, yeah. Redistribution of income. I also think we're going to have to, I think a great thing would be uh, some sort of national service. I think we got to put people in some sort of uniform or religious institution or spiritual. I don't know what it is that gives us all some sort of uh, attachment to the flag instead of attachment to a political party. A hundred percent. It's gotten so, it's it's really interesting. You, you, you try to figure out your way out of it. It's, I got this text by someone, a well-known person yesterday, out of the blue, out of the blue. Mark Zuckerberg and Rupert Murdoch have done more harm than any two single figures in a modern history. Soulless men living in a bubble, knowingly counter, counterancing the propagation of evil each day, tolerated by polite society, and they shouldn't be. That's my thought for the day. I was like, okay, thanks. Um, I, I would add, I would add, um, it was fascinating. Jack Dorsey to that. I yeah. think if you really think about the way people address each other and treat each other that haven't even met each other and the way that ideas are pitted against each other, not to create better ideas, but to call each other out, I think all of media has decided that it's a rage machine meant to alarm us, to pit us against each other. And we've just lost a sense of, uh, Except of national that some purpose. ideas should be called out. Like What's th that? This, this constant election attacks mm -hmm. need to be called out. I don't know what to say. Like, how do you not call that stuff out? And sir, candidates who decide they want to run for senator or president deserve to go at it. That right. that's uh, They've been doing that for a long time. What we shouldn't do is go online and have... Bernie bros attacking people they've never met and saying hideous things about them. And then that creates, there's a profit It's interesting incentive. you pick Bernie bros first because I, I get attacked okay, by the Okay, Proud right Boys, wing. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just saying these, these, these platforms that people communicate on are basically like, remember when you were a kid and someone said bad words and they'd shove you to and start screaming, fight, fight, fight. The most mm -hmm. successful companies in history are basically saying to every citizen in our nation, getting behind us, shoving us into... Yeah, uh, sho shoving us into a square and saying, starting screaming, fight, fight, fight. That's just, I, I, the, what you're, that individual just said, mm -hmm. I think we're going to look back on this and think the amount of damage yep. these individuals did. If we don't have a civil discord, if we're not, if we don't have a truth, if we're not interested in solving a tragedy that comments, if we don't have a certain level of empathy regard, technology separating us, we're no longer going to movie theaters, we're no longer going to malls, we're segregating. Yeah. So there's a lot of really ugly things. And they make but, it easy for us to do that. You know, I was just thinking this, literally, I, I didn't realize until like Thanksgiving today, because we usually do do a big family something, at least 10 people, right? And this yeah. now today is like four, four people. It's a dinner, like like last night, essentially it's dinner last night. Um, and, and you don't, 
I have spent an enormous amount of time alone, even though I have a nice family. But you know what I mean? Like not, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. Like what does that do to your psyche? And you can do it pretty We've all kind of adapted pretty easily to it because we've got our Netflixes, we've got our phones, mm-hmm. we've got our Zooms and stuff like that. So it's it's easy to adapt given these technological tools that we have now. It's easy to become these loner. Everyone becomes the, lone, the loner in some way, in some fashion, or it's much easier to do so. Like my mom's by herself and she's okay. She's she's mm-hmm. adapted, but you wonder what the what the price is. Like I think like so many people are by themselves, much more so than they used to be. Yeah, and well, there's isolation and short-term effect, effects, and it kind of depends on your type. Like, I think you and I are fine. I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't know how yeah, you are. Yeah, no, but, I get it. But I'm saying people, the tools have made it easy to to play into this idea of not being part of a community. But the, the hard part is when you're never exposed, when you just have a short commute to your kid's private school where everyone looks, smells, and feels the same, when you're online and everyone you're Zooming with looks, smells, and feels the same, and you can get, you don't even have to go to Publix and be exposed to the public because you get Amazon and Whole Foods to deliver your food. Yeah. I think you just develop less empathy. Yeah. You just don't, you never think, there by the grace of God go I. Yeah. And, and you should be thinking should that start several a times. Church, Scott. Maybe I should start church. <laughs> Let's start the cotton carriage. We do I have like, a church. People, like right? Have you noticed people are like, we, I listen, I walk and I listen to Scott and Kara. We got oh, a lot yeah. of That's what they need. <laughs> That's what they That's need. All right, last need. question. What is your, very briefly, what is your advice to a young person whose first jump into adulthood was the pandemic? I think about that with my kids for sure. I, I just hope they, I hope they look at everything we've done wrong and commit to being, getting involved civically and trying to figure out a way. Uh, the, the thing I don't like or the thing I think is really dangerous among young people, and I see this just on campus, mm-hmm. is they feel that there's, there's, reward or compensation or merit in calling other people out that there's yeah, virtue points calling out i don't think that's their biggest problem i'm going to push back on you i think they don't i think i think you are dealing with a college campus yep. i don't think people do that and calling out is not our biggest social crisis it's inequality I, I, there's i, I think we're, opportunity. i worry that college so i'm exposed to college kids mm-hmm. i'm worried that college kids um are not as empathetic towards, I don't know what you call it, the, the middle of the country, that there's definitely a kind of an ideological narrative. And if you don't sign up for that narrative, you lack worth. I think there actually are pretty judgmental around a certain ideology. I think people in the middle of the country are very judgmental. I, I am fair. subject to it I'm almost not sub- constantly. I'm not, I'm so not subjected it's, to that. It's that, that idea much. that we have to understand the other person better than they should understand us. And I think that's really where it's right. lost. I, you know, on some level, I do want to understand some of the Trump voters. Others, I don't. I don't. I get it. Yeah. I understand. I hear yeah. it. And and to it's 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 all of us, not just whatever. I think what Joe Biden's saying is really powerful, and I hope it. Mm-hmm. I, I've hope been so watching too. his speeches very carefully. There's nothing weak about what he's saying, not even a bit. There's something very weak. And I, you know, when you talk about young people and calling out, you know, who's let us down? The older people. The older people are just like wallowed in this bullshit for too long. That's my feeling. Yeah, there's, I, I don't think there's, uh, so look, the hope for a next generation is they learn from our mistakes and return to some of the things that worked um, and haven't worked. And then most of, most of what I write about is how they can benefit economically. Yeah. What are they going to be the most exciting industries to be in? What are the skills to be in those industries? But, All right, name three very quickly. Well, I said them. I think the, uh, call it home or residential. You're going to mm-hmm. see more capital and innovation around your home than you've seen in you know decades. And then healthcare and education. I'm right. all my investments are basically I'm moving everything into one of those three things. I think that's going to be the the you know the most prosperous or create the most stakeholder value over the next over the next ten years. So the in- industries that people should be focused on, go through them uh, very quickly. Uh, simply put, healthcare, mm-hmm. and that is the dispersion of $3 trillion away from hospitals and doctors' offices to the home. That's going to create enormous opportunity. The other, in the call sign here, this is the word is dispersion, and the dispersion of uh, capital or the $750 billion that flows through universities, that'll also go remote. Mm-hmm. And then the third or the 10 to 20 hours a week of our time that's going to disperse from spending time in a commercial office to your home. So just getting in the way of those flows, if you will, and there's just so many, whether it's cold storage to deliver perishables, whether it's an office set up in your home and all the, you know, noise, noise padding, you know, right. I mean, just yeah. for whatever it might be, I would, I would want, if I were a young person, I'd want to be between the intersection 
of um, technology in those industries. So, those are all jobs of, of taking us apart. What are the what are the That's a fair point. trends of getting together? Are there like are there see, opportunities yeah, like that? I would, I would like to see a Corona Corps. I think that uh, first off, I think a gap year should be the norm, mm. not the exception. And I think uh, it would be great to say, all right, we have a lot of diseases or pandemic. If we have a pandemic right now, or we have a lot of people who are struggling, who need uh, a ride to their their doctor, whatever it might be. I think a civil service Corona Corps, similar to what the, the, the Latter-day Saints do or the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps, where kids are given opportunities to earn money for college, pay off student debt, make some money, get a feeder into universities to say, if you spend two years in this, we're going to take a harder look at you in terms of a job, but basically create a national service corps that mm-hmm. creates some unity and gives some kids some skills. Because I think 18, I don't know about you, you're different. 18 was just too young for me to go to college. I just yeah. got, I just got too drunk and just hung out and barely Several made it to my Louis freshman friends year. did not go. They're just traveling around, but they can't go anywhere. You know, yeah, they wanted to go to anywhere. Europe. They wanted to go. They wanted to just drive around, but you just can't. They, they're, you know, they're safe-minded kids in general. So it's not, and there's not opportunities either, by the way, to Some do sort of national service that gives them a shared national identity, service. additional skills, and also empathy, uh, empathy for other Americans and, and a shared pride of all having served in the same uniform such that they maybe cooperate with each yeah, other. When I've always thought of national medi- military service that does things like fix roads and stuff like that would be really great um, using the military that way. But, you know, people are, that's a very controversial thing, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next administration. I am really hoping that it, this pandemic has not made us better. And you would think it would have. No. You would think it would have. You would yeah. think it would have, but it has not. And on that un-Thanksgiving note, but we there are ways to come together because what's happened is we've come together over politics, which is always going to be a nasty you know, mm-hmm. snake pit, no matter who, there's always been a snake pit. It's always going to be. And so we don't have a commonality that is, um, has always been our strength. The lack of the, the differences that we have has been our strength. And now it's our weakness. Anyway, Scott, let's go to a quick break. Again, read Scott's book. It's called Post Corona from Crisis to Opportunity. He is apparently a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, you know, it's orange. So you'll notice it when you go and buy it and buy it online. Um, and did you do an audio copy with Scott? I did an audible. Yeah, I did. I, I use my voice this time this year, well, so you get to hear. That's the, what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> what a thrill! That's <laughs> what you need more of. Scott Play Dallas. it over Alexa through Thanksgiving, and then <laughs> go and then go into the garage, turn on the car, turn on the car, close the garage door, <laughs> and just think about better things. You know what? <laughs> I have to say, my sons are your biggest fans. They were all excited I love that. when it came. So like, nice. Scott has a book. Yay! Despite like, your no. efforts, that's nice. That makes me feel <laughs> they good. They did. They were. You, they said you yay. Just, you just chuck it down to the basement. I'm going to. I'm going to chuck it down to the basement today. Yeah. Poor, poor son is sitting down there by himself. Anyway, all right, Scott, let's go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a listener question. All right, we're back. Let's take a listener mail question. You have to top Bob from Brooklyn, but good luck. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You've got mail. Hey, Scott and Kara, Alex from Texas here. You said in the past that defund the police is bad marketing. How would you change that? I'd like police reform to happen, but all the peaceful protests and task force under that banner haven't really done much in the past few years. I've been pulled over and accused of running drugs across state lines on the way to interviews. Someone nearby was tased recently for having a dirty license plate, and so on. Or should we just keep the name? After all, Martin Luther King only had like 40% approval at his peak, along with the freedom marches. But we can all agree that minorities like Karen and myself definitely deserve equal protections under the law. Apologies for the rambling question, and thanks for all the hard work. Gosh, Scott, we have such smart listener mails and the people who are mm-hmm. giving us these questions. So let's talk about this. We talk, Let's take away from the politics of it um, and talk about this idea of the word defund the police um, as a marketing person. I, I hate to pull it away from very serious social and uh, issues that we have around this issue, but let's talk about it as a marketing. How would you restructure the campaign? So I just want to acknowledge that uh, the, one of the things I did um, when Black Lives Matter was sort of, I don't know, getting the news more, uh, I brought on um, some uh, people who are just more thoughtful about it than me. And one of them was my uh, former dean, Peter Henry. 
And I remember, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know it. But he, I remember him telling me his biggest, one of his biggest fears is having his sons in what he called mm-hmm. an uncontrolled interaction environment with a police officer. Yeah. And it just really opened my eyes to like, it's just a different, you know, it's just a different world for, mm-hmm. for, for people of color. And, and uh, so let's go, let's go beyond what needs to happen. Let's go to how, how it, you how best it make happens, progress. Right. The difference between being right and being effective. I think defund the police almost cost us the election. Mm-hmm. I think if, if that narrative, if, if Biden had, had decided to take the momentum there and it was very tempting um, and, and adopt that, or if he hadn't repudiated, I think that could have cost uh, the Democrats the election. Because I think uh, if you talk about the 4,500 different police departments, different cohorts have different relationships and a different level of respect for the police. I think that, and to your listeners or to the listeners point, you know, being just because something is unpopular, doesn't mean it's going to be that it doesn't have worth that It's not going to be the, the narrative, the fringe becomes Mm -hmm. a narrative at some point, as long as the fringe is right or, or has, you know, the righteous on their side. I think civic reform uh, Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, using data here, because what we've asked the police to do is to deal with mental health, to deal with homeless, to deal with drug addiction. And you don't deal with those three things where your primary tools are a certain amount of EQ, authority, but also a gun in a cage. Mm-hmm. It's just not how you approach addiction or mental illness. And I think a lot of policemen uh, also don't want you know, feel as if they've been given almost an impossible task in mm-hmm. terms of the things that they're supposed to um, deal with. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be very curious like how the police force in San Francisco feels about all of this. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think it's more around civic reform and talking about mental illness and talking about, poli- I think reform is a much better word than defund the police. Because the moment you had started having a conversation, which no one wanted, no one wanted, and I, I, maybe now they're ready to have the conversation, but they didn't want to have a data-driven conversation that defund the police was just going to lead to wealthy areas having their own militias that weren't accountable to every anyone in terms of how they treated people. And then you were going to have an increase in crime in the areas that need police the most. So I, I feel like it was a really... I don't know what the term it is. It also gives the like the Sean Hannity's of the world and, and Laura Ingram's all a, 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 a ridiculous reductive argument. A you know, it is. And and they're so I don't want to call them stupid because they're not stupid. They 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 take any opportunity to create division. The green Deal, no air travel and no lawnmowers. It's like, well, right. that's not really what it said, right? Yeah, right. Well, that's all, well. No matter what you do with them, they'll take anything and twist it into something crazy. But, but we did. But when I say we, there were people. The DC mayor writes defund the police along along an avenue, and that. So it's easy for them to take that and say, okay. The left is saying defund the police. What what do you think? How do you think they should approach it? I, I, it's it's one of these issues that's it's the same thing with with the with mask wearing and stuff like that. I, on some level, you do want to you do want to like be very aggressive to people about it. At the same time, um, it's you have to understand there's all these other not not with masks because masks should be like a stop it stop it right now like mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, and not being like a martinet about it. I mean, like if, you, if no one's around, you can probably pull you down your mask for five seconds, like outside, like whatever. That's, it's not being like that kind of like a uh, scold to people. I think it's really hard to acknowledge people's sadness and grieving. I think, uh, Esther Perel talked about it. There's a lot of mm-hmm. grieving going on. We're not acknowledging of lots <laughs> of people. And even though it seems, um, at the, at the moment really, um, it's hard to let people grieve right now. And I think we have to understand at the very basis where defund the police comes from and why, why the, the, these, these different um, groups of people have been so badly uh, abused and murdered. Um, mm-hmm. And, and we want to just move on and like fix something. I think, you know, it's sort of when it sounds, it's not exactly the right comparison, but when I was talking to Mark Zucker, we're about, uh, all the issues around the social speech and the and the actual real life things that happen, including deaths and riots and things like that. And he was like, "Let's just fix it." And I was like, "There's got to be a moment of acknowledgement of of what uh, and What's and happened? continued because it continues to happen, right? It's, mm-hmm. It hasn't stopped. Um, and I think what happens is a lot is among especially groups 
uh, uh, it happens with white oh, white guys who really run things say, yeah, I hear you now. Now let's move on and like want to ignore what they've done. And so I, I think that's the difficult part. And that's part. And why should you get forgiveness given the behavior? And then at the same time, acknowledging how many amazing uh, public servants there are all over the place. And so they all feel like lumped in with the bad ones, essentially, um, and a bad system. And so I, it's really, it's, it, I think the, it's hard to say do kindness after being abused for so long. But yeah. on one side, it has to be do kindness. The other side has to acknowledge the, the lack of kindness and the abuse that, that has been perpetrated in their names. And so... I, I don't know. I don't, again, it's what we were talking about at the beginning in your book. Like, right? That's what we talked about, you know. I'm a, I'm a little bit more foxy on this. I'm seeing yeah. all these videos of young people getting back in police officers' face. Like, sir, can I see your ID? No, you can't see my ID. Get out of here. And they start verbally abusing the police officers. And I, I, I find the lack of respect that I think that... Uh, I just think p- police deserve more respect than that. And I believe that when they murder people, they should be stuck in prison for the rest of their lives. But it seems to me that there definitely is an unhealthy narrative that anyone in a police uniform is. But why is, is that, is, Scott? Is why do you think respect. that is? Why do you, do you think it is undeserved given like we see video after video after video where the where it's clear what's happening and and we still have to be like well let's give them another break and i think i agree with you there's a lot of great public servants it's just that it's not it shouldn't be any surprise given the enormous amount of evidence of of, of systemic racism in this country and uh i, I just think you have to allow a you're asking people to forgive that have constantly are being asked to forgive. That's that's a fair point. You know, like I, I, and I, in my very small way. But of by being the way, gay, these aren't usually kids of color yelling in the police. No, it's uh, white kids yes. posting it on TikTok. Agreed, 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 agreed. It, but pe- that young people pull, grab onto all kinds of like anti-war thing, whatever it is. Right. But I mean, even in the, it's not even close to being close. But you know, when I, I used to take endless shit for being gay, it doesn't happen anymore as much. It mm-hmm. does definitely happen. And at some point, it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be nice. I'm not going to let people understand me. I don't care if you understand. I mean, you get mm-hmm. this, like, why do you have to be the better person all the time? Yeah. Yeah. And that's d- exhausting. And I think that everyone's got to take a hard look at themselves and their responsibilities. And just because you didn't do it as a police officer, you do have to understand, just like with reporters, I don't take responsibility for all the shitty reporters, but I do worry for the profession as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so I'm. Res- well, I, I we didn't have do defunded it. journalism. Defunded journalism. <laughs> well, it's defund- already done. Facebook. There are fifty percent nice fewer journalists than <laughs> yeah, there were done. thirty it's years finished. ago. We have defunded case, journalism. It really is. I I urge you to listen to Joe Biden's speech. I think mm-hmm. and 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 push back when people talk about it being weak. Push back on people being super ridiculously hypocritically aggressive mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i gave marco rubio a real hard slap deservedly um you know to just immediately your first thing at the gate is a punch and you have to push back on people like that and get us to a place where we can uh, disagree and get something done together mm-hmm. right because we're all in the we're all in the beginning of the process versus the actual problem we're discussing the process all the time now but shouldn't shouldn't every high school student I mean, just as an example, I think intimacy or respect is a function of proximity and contact. You know, is there a program as part of the social, social service program where you spend time with the police and police spend time with you? Yeah. Uh, just to, uh, local local policing to yeah. get kids involved yeah. in that and to get local police <clears throat> more involved with kids. It just strikes me that... They, it, that has worked on many occasions as neighborhood policing and things. Yeah. There's all kinds of great ideas. All I'm saying is there's all kinds of innovative ideas to deal with this and to figure out, to weed out real sociopaths that go we into We need to policing. demilitarize the police. Yeah. I occasionally see one of these assault vehicles. And yeah, I'm like, me too. Jesus, talk about toxic masculinity gone fucking apeshit. Yeah, stuff like you know, that. There are lots of, of their, great ideas. Go ahead, and they get it with their assault rifles yeah, and their battle wear. And it's like, okay, these are board cops in an overfunded district that want yeah. to play G.I. Joe. I yeah. mean, that just can't be healthy. No, no, it's mentally not. I, I think I've had more bad encounters with the police than you, I suspect. I've had many. I've had many, many, many. And how does it, oh, in a longer show, I'm just wondering how that plays out for you. And you think it's because, well, I'll ask you, what are those, what are those bad experiences? I, I question things i would he was he, one at one point um 
he was really giving these two young African-American men a hard time. And I was, mm-hmm. this was long ago. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, and mm-hmm. cause I felt like I had, you know, that he wouldn't, mm-hmm. but he came at me. I'll tell you that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, in that case, uh, it didn't, it was, I mean, nothing happened, but it was, I was just sort of like, I see what you're doing. I think that's all I was doing. Um, another case, I, I questioned something I questioned for, for the mo- most minor thing. And mm-hmm. I got, I put, I was put in jail. I was like, question. I don't know what else to say. I was like, question. And I wasn't rude. I was just, why do you think you can do that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I was cuffed and put in jail. That was it. And what was the charge? They just. Uh, resisting arrest. Hmm. I really didn't. I was just like, this is ridiculous. It's a long story. I won't go into it, but it was, it was stupid. It was so dumb. Um, in any case, it's a very good time to start to take a breath today as a, while you're by yourself at home with your tiny yeah, turkeys. Agreed. Um, but it's a really good time to t- take your breath and be, but I think pushing back on people who are continuing to punch is yeah. you really have to start keep doing that anyway good question thank you alex from texas i think we have a long way to go in this country and there and to get to our better angels for sure and this nothing nothing says that like the holiday season i guess i don't think that's true we should do it all year round um by the way for the month of december we're partnering with yappa to get more listener mail questions yappa Go to newyorknymag.com slash pivot to submit your question for the Pivot podcast. These questions have been incredibly thoughtful every week and different, and we really appreciate them. Uh, and, and, and we like talking about them, obviously. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. I would like a great, dazzling prediction from you. Okay, Scott, predictions, dazzle us for the holiday weekend, please. You've had so many good ones lately. This one's sort of boring, but I'm fascinated by uh, the whole SPAC phenomena, Special mm-hmm. Purpose Acquisition Corps, Corporations. And basically, it's you never underestimate the market's ability to find products for people who have cash in their hand. Mm-hmm. And because investment banks in the SEC uh, have a certain amount of lag and filter and friction around getting public and the market's appetite for IPOs is greater, uh, you're seeing SPACs. And it's basically teams go out and they act almost like a desk in an investment banker, investment bankers who say, no, I'll evaluate a company. I'll come up with a price. I already get through the logistics of the SEC approval, get this company public, and then boom, just add water IPO. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, typically this year, SPACs have vastly outperformed the rest of the market, but over the medium and long-term SPACs have generally underperformed because they're evidence of the hand going deeper and deeper into the barrel to try and find to try and find companies and sometimes of lesser quality. And there's a reason why some companies don't get through that process in normal mm-hmm. times. Anyways, if you look at right now, there are... There are about 255 SPACs. And I got this from Terry Kawaja's when he did a SPAC yeah. Loom Escape, which I thought was really interesting. And yeah. 70 of them have found a target, meaning that they've actually purchased a company and other publicly traded companies across six verticals. But 185 are still looking for a target. Mm-hmm. And, and they are armed with $65 billion in cash. Typically, that cash gets deployed into the company and then they lever up. So you have sure. about $200 billion in capital right now, Looking and that two hundred billion dollars in capital has a gun to its head. If you right. don't deploy this capital, yeah. two years, right? Is that correct? Yeah, in eighteen to twenty-four months, yeah. you have to return it to your investors, yeah. and that's a no-no. Your investors didn't give you the money to, to hold on to it for two right. years and then return it. So you have two hundred billion dollars with a gun to its head right now, trying to find uh, private companies that might be ready for prime time. And uh, you could say, well, these things are going to underperform. It means there's mm-hmm. a bidding war true but the market also won't take a company just because you overpaid for it and let it trade at that so there is there is some there's sanity to it yes there's a government but you have force. what i think this means isn't this a boring prediction i think that this year's returns and the first half of 2021 for venture capitalists are going to be probably record returns because you have companies that were going to go public in two or three years potentially go public in huh. q4 q1 this is or q2 a complex and interesting prediction no, I don't know. Anyways. It is complex. You're, you're, what you're doing is you're saying, look, venture capitalists were going to go public in two years and had to be sitting on these assets. Now they can get them out the door and take the money and run, essentially. You so can. If you say you have a 30 to 50 million or 100 million dollar a year recurring revenue company, you're thinking yeah. once we get to 200, we'll call the bankers. Yeah. You've had a dozen SPACs call you 
yeah. and say, we're ready to go. We can be trading in 30 days. Is this smart for these companies to be public this, this young? Well, it, it, you, what you've seen in the marketplace is access to cheap capital is kind of the, the core competence. And, the, and you identify yourself. IPOs, the reason these guys aren't stupid, the reason they do still do traditional IPOs and give 7% to the underwriter is it's basically a giant signal saying, we're the disruptor, we're the leader in the space. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this capital, stocks are two components, narrative and numbers. And now that the narrative is 70% and the numbers are 30%, whereas it used to be flipped, anything that identifies you or signals that you're going to have mm -hmm. access to cheaper capital, you're the disruptor, which leads to access to cheaper capital, which means you can make more forward-leaning investments in your peer group. You know, there's definitely something to an advantage. If you're good, unless it's a lot of bullshit stuff, which, you know, SPACs in the past, that's sort of been that's right. the, the rap on them when it wasn't so trendy, right? That they, they were Shitty basically, companies. that's right. They were awkward teenagers that hadn't shown right. they had the ability to, to right. kind of compete in, in the big leagues. So they were AAA. You're drafting, basically you're drafting AAA ball players into the majors and hoping that they can grow into it because all of a sudden baseball, well, yeah, it's like the here, number of teams are expanding. The here, number of teams Here's a million dollars, figure something out, right? Kind of yeah. thing. But you have, I mean, there are so many companies now. I've mm -hmm. invested in a couple of privates uh, recently in EdTech. So are you hoping for a SPAC, your people, your company? I don't know enough about it. I, I'm one of those people that I think you're better off, maybe, maybe I think better off waiting, but it's smarter people than me get to make those decisions. But I invested a year ago in EdTech in a FinTech company, mm -hmm. one, an online mortgage company called uh, Better.com and another uh, 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 health tech company called 98.6. They they get a call a day from a SPAC. It's uh -huh. not ready to go. And right. so if you think about all of these companies that are uh -huh. kind of late stage growth companies, their value has skyrocketed because all of a sudden everybody's yes, calling them true. a capital. Yeah, but so uh, I think it's going to translate to venture capital for venture capital is an asset class over the last twenty or thirty years has underperformed other asset classes. Mm -hmm. The majority of the returns are not only sequestered to a small number of venture capitalists, but a small number or a small number of venture capital firms, but a small number of venture capitalists within yes. those firms. Yes, indeed. But this, I think, the, I think the returns of this vintage, if you will. So now uh, everyone looks like a genius for false reasons. 100% because all of these companies, and some of them are great companies, but most of them are good companies that have some momentum are all of a sudden big time. Yeah, I and getting I extraordinary valuations. I'm, I'm a trouble ahead, but this is not going to end well for most of these guys. That's and, what and public investors mean. are going to pay yep. the price. And it was really 100%. interesting. One time, a million years ago, I think I've told this story. I don't think I've told you. One of the Goldman Sachs banker was telling me about this company they were going to take public. And they said they're pre, they told me they were pre-revenue. I'll never forget this. We're pre-revenue. And I was like, what? And he goes, well, it's a pre-revenue company, Carrie. I really think you should write a piece. Because they wanted pieces in the journal to like gin up these excitement around these companies. And I was like, you know, I'm looking out my window right now and there's an old lady walking down the street. Why don't you just go mug her rather than take shareholder money? This is ridiculous, this bullshit narrative you're spinning up on these companies that aren't ready for prime time. And so I'll never forget the word pre-revenue. I, I was sort of like fascinated by that. Um, and so I, I do think it, it has, it's, it's, it's going to be sloppily enforced. Maybe it'll change mm -hmm. under the Biden administration. And we're going to see a lot of turkeys, speaking of turkeys, amid all the, uh, the the promising companies. And that when there's too much money sloshing around out there, everybody gets sloppy. 100%. We're in what I would call, uh, you're seeing a lot of what I would call the feces round, and that is maintain momentum so we can fling unicorn feces at tourists at the zoo. Right. But there's there's pre-revenue companies now that are pub. Virgin Galactic yeah. yes, is pre-revenue. Yes, I got that. Um you know, there are there are a lot of them, and some of them will go on to be amazing companies. Exactly. Um, but it's but there's it, only one Amazon among the group. Like, there's not seven. There's not, maybe there's seven, who knows? I don't know how many are going public. So that's, he did 150 of them? That's, there's already 150 of them? Well, no, there's 165 right now out there, wow. just among these seven verticals, that have capital and are looking for companies to acquire. Do you have a SPAC secretly, Scott? I do not. I've been mm -hmm. contacted. I'm sure you have too. I've been contacted about going no. on the board of SPACs, but I the the, the whole space kind of right? scares me. They want they want your name. The whole thing just sort of scares me. It's yeah. just sort of um, it does feel very frothy. And the thing about froth is that by the time when you start calling something frothy, that usually means it's going to get even frothier for another 24 months. Yeah. So it's hard to be the the Debbie Downer because. Oftentimes things keep going and there will be some amazing companies that started as SPACs, yeah. right? Um, 
uh, and there already are some great companies that that got public via visa visa via and a, a couple SPAC. of real bad outcomes, which is already already which is what I think is interesting is it's speaking of reform, it's trying to reform the IPO system, right? This is where right. it's a reaction by you know you saw that big Bill Gurley essay about it, like oh they leave too much, and instead of just reforming the IPO system, this is the answer, which means too much fraud, I think. We'll see where it goes, but it is interesting, and we will keep watching it. That is a good and complex prediction, Scott. That we'll was see. really, really Do you have good. any predictions, Kara? I do Maybe. not. I do not. I predict that uh, we are going to have a great 2021, Scott, you and I together. And uh, That's we, nice. Thank you for saying that. We will not be that. spending Thanksgiving next year together. <laughs> Maybe we will. We will, because we're such you losers. Here we are. We like you doing this. And we like to bring content to our people. All right. So that is the show. I don't have a prediction for today, but I will think of one for next week. How about that? Um, Okay, that's the show. As a reminder, we love listener mail questions and we're trying something new. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your question for the Pivot Podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Scott, happy Thanksgiving. Likewise, Kara. From the Swisher family, including Louie in the basement. Um, I hope you have a beautiful time with your beautiful family. Thank you for saying that. Likewise. Please read us out. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Fernanda Finate engineered this episode. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. We hope that you are giving thanks with people that you love immensely or not with people, unfortunately, or not with people. Why? Because you love them immensely. We will see you next week. Mm -hmm.